Good morning, traders. We are coming at you with the 54th episode of the Performante podcast. It is the 2nd of June. My name is Nathan. We've got Keith with us. We're just going to jump right into it. We got a jam packed episode where we think that Bitcoin could be seeing some bullish momentum. So we want to provide some news coverage from the distant corners of the cryptoverse. We're going to be talking about the $6 trillion stimulus, some Coinbase banter. We're gonna we got Vitalik's view on Ethereum 2.0. We've got some updates on the XRP case, as well as the most recent rug pull. So without any further ado, I'll pass it on over to Keith. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode. First thing on the list for a podcast, we're gonna be jumping right into Edward Snowden. He was talking about the six trillion dollar stimulus package that Biden's administration is putting into place uh, with the increase in tax and the excessive money printing. Pretty uh, clear to see that safe havens will be doing well and with Bitcoin positioned as the safe haven asset in the digital space, uh, he mentioned that it was quote good for Bitcoin. We've seen in the past when Trump was printing a lot of money, there was a significant push for Bitcoin. Um, I don't think they're directly correlated, but we have seen with the US dollar plummeting, a lot of these safe haven assets, not just in the digital space, but gold and silver have been doing really well. And I think Bitcoin will be an outperformer in the safe haven space. Uh, he also did mention, um, or Biden also mentioned that he wants to quote, build back a better America, kind of similar to what Trump was mentioning. Um, but in short, $6 trillion, this is more than any other stimulus package that we've seen, and the numbers just keep getting larger and larger and larger. Um, we will later on, uh, not in this video, but in our Discord and, and TikTok, probably post uh, what the relationship is in terms of the size of the $6 trillion as to what it was in the prior uh, uh, times when we've had massive money printing situations. So I think that this inevitably is good for Bitcoin as well. It does take time for the newly printed cash to actually uh, dilute the rest of the cash in the system. So it takes a little bit of time for actually inflation to kick in. But we have seen that this is a trend where the modern monetary theory idea and the ability to just print value of thin air um, from the US is just not stopping. And at this point, I don't think they can. They're increasing taxes and they're printing lots of money. Um, that is a really good indication that they are in need of cash to really stimulate the economy. And that's the only two real ways that they can. The last thing would be to lower interest rates, but basically at 0%, they don't really have much of an option. So the only thing that they have in their tool belt, in their arsenal, would be to either raise taxes so they can generate more income for the government or just print it out of thin air. Um, both are viewed as taxation. One is a little bit more, I would say, like uh, easy to understand, where if they're taking more of your money, you're making less of it and the government's making more. But I think people don't really understand that inflation is also taxation because let's say you have $100,000 in your bank account. If they're printing $6 trillion here and there, that $100,000 is going to be devalued substantially. But overall, I think this is going to be a continuation of the overall trend where the dollar is going to devaluate safe haven assets and the cryptocurrency realm is going to be very bullish because of it. Yeah, and I think for case in point, we can follow DXY, basically the US dollar currency index over the next coming days, weeks, months, etc. We've been following it 
for very closely since May or March 2020, because that's really when this inflationary spiral started. And by keeping an eye on that, we basically have an objective number for how the US dollar is being valued on that global macro scale. We've seen a clear downtrend basically starting in that March 2020 COVID crash, let's call it. And when uh, they hopped in and started printing, at the time, it was $2 trillion in stimulus. And that was considered a monumental stimulus with the Trump administration. But Biden uh, said, fuck it, I'm a Democrat. Let's triple <laughs> it. Let's print $6 trillion instead. Let's, uh, instead of make America great again, uh, let's reinvest in America and build a <laughs> build back America. So I guess it's the same motif, just different presentation. And at the end of the day, it's a different white man behind the money printer of America, devaluing, debasing the currency, and ultimately sending the country as an economic whole further down the inflation positive feedback loop. It's interesting because it feels like we're it's no longer a question of inflation. It's a question of hyperinflation. Like we've we've passed the inflation argument. We're already there. Currency is getting devalued. It's getting debased. There's currency proliferation. It's not a matter of if inflation hits. Now it's a matter of, okay, when are we going to evolve past that and progress towards hyperinflation? That's really, I guess you could call it the trillion dollar question as all this liquidity is getting added to the market. And it's really just a case in point for Bitcoin and ultimately a complete use case for a deflationary speculative asset that kind of solves the problem of, hey, dollars are infinite. And what if we had an asset that's not infinite? It kind of breaks the schema of how we conceptualize modern investing. Mm -hmm. Very much so. And just to touch on the inflation train a little bit more, um, I'm sure everyone either has heard or maybe has even had some impact. Uh, in, in Canada, at least, there has been a massive shortage of all the commodities, like for things related to do with building supplies or um, lumber, especially. I think oil is going to be doing uh, quite well in terms of an investment, but I think it's going to be appreciating quite aggressively sometime soon. So we're already seeing it. Lumber's up like $300, and a lot of the supplies, a lot of people are blaming it for COVID. Like, oh, it's, it's the lack of the great um, uh, supply chain management and um, I think people are going through that route, but at the end of the day, we're on a, our perspective is it's not like everything is going up in price. It's just the dollar is going down in value. So it takes more of those dollars to purchase that asset or that commodity, whatever it may be. So it's a different perspective. It's a different way of looking at it. It's not like the value of all of these goods and services are you know, tripled or, or, or 2x. It, it's the value of the dollar halved or quartered or, or something along the lines of that, right? So um, kind of shifting your mindset and shifting your perspective so then you can understand that, um, let, let's say a tree 100 years ago is not more valuable or less valuable than a tree now or the lumber now, but it's the unit of the measurement is what is changing very frequently when you're looking from a global macro perspective through um, decades or, or even centuries. So understanding that we are in a currency crisis at the very, very beginning of it is really important. And I think understanding that will really allow you to set up a portfolio that is able to hedge against this at the minimum 
heavily inflated <laughs> period of time, and at the worst case, a hyperinflation where the value of currency, or at least the US dollar, is absolutely meaningless, and you'll be having to take a wheelbarrow out to your local baker to get a single loaf of bread, similar to what happened in Weimar Republic in Germany. So moving on to the next thing, uh, kind of getting off the crypto train, or the, sorry, inflation train, Coinbase stock rises as the crypto platform says US customers can now use a debit card um, in Apple and Google wallets. So more integration within the um, kind of retail space, being able to use cryptocurrencies, transact, the re reduction in the friction, overall great. And we do know that Coinbase's IPO was not controversial, but it was sizable. Uh, I don't exactly know what the number was in terms of the market cap, but um, from the IPO, they've been doing really well. They are at the forefront of exchanges in the US. So I think that they are kind of cementing themselves or have already cemented themselves as the US-based exchange that people will be turning to first. And then Binance would be the international. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Binance is larger, but at the end of the day, um, Americans love to trade and it's a very capitalistic uh, place there. So having that um, exchange that is safe, easy to use, and they're actually integrating Apple and Google wallets so then people can actually use the crypto to buy things, um, not just in the realm of crypto like NFTs, but everyday use cases is great to see as well. Yeah, 100%. I feel like in terms of their direct listing, they kind of topped or they kind of sniped the top of the crypto market because the, the shares are down, I think, like 25% from when it direct listed on the NASDAQ. But they are the number one crypto app on the App Store. They're kind of when you search crypto, they're the first people that come to mind. And they really service what I would call the crypto noobs industry. But at the end of the day, that's probably the biggest conglomerate of people getting into the space right now. And so by making these moves to offer a more consumer centric product with a lower friction when you just want to spend it, having a debit card that you can use with Apple Pay, that's absolutely seamless. That's uh, you don't even need to carry your wallet around with you. You got your mobile wallet on your phone super sleek and ultimately just trying to increase usability because i think that's one complaint that maybe novice crypto investors have is like hey i have this crypto but it's kind of hard to spend hmm. and so by developing products like this again just trying to develop a more consumer-centric product and more coinbase news to share uh, a couple weeks ago they announced that they would be listing dogecoin at some point but lo and behold that time has come and uh, Coinbase Pro will be listing Dogecoin on Thursday, June 3rd at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard. Uh, and that's not the Coinbase app. Coinbase Pro is their trading desk. It's a little bit more advanced of a platform that, in theory, anyone could use if they wanted to. But generally, it's the more uh, market-versed people, let's call it that use their pro platform. And I think ultimately this is a smart move because they list on the pro platform first because they know less people use it relative to their app. And I think that allows them to basically manipulate the market less. Because with a lot of these exchange listings, sometimes they get listed, there's increased accessibility, there's a lot of speculation that there'll be a massive pump. And so by listing it all at once, suddenly there can be a massive basically spike and people get salty because exchanges stop working and 
they can't buy or they can't sell. And so I think that listing on Coinbase Pro before they list on the Coinbase app is a smart move to kind of ease the impact that they have. And ultimately, in addition, it's also a smart move in terms of liquidity because it allows them to accept deposits and develop that Doge liquidity on the back end uh, in order to facilitate trading on a much larger scale with their app users. Definitely. I think they've learned from past experiences because that was a pretty common occurrence when there is a new listing on an exchange and a pile of retail investors try to buy it, try to sell it, uh, exchange that asset, and the exchange goes down and everyone gets frustrated. Uh, Twitter just explodes with all this Coinbase um, or whatever exchange is currently in use. So I think it's great to slowly integrate it, and I think that's what they're trying to do right here, especially with such a hyped coin like Dogecoin. They know that there's going to be a tremendous amount of individuals looking to buy it, looking to invest, and maybe even leverage trade it. So they do need that back in liquidity and definitely is a good thing to uh, learn from past mistakes. So hopefully you guys are, uh, <laughs> I don't really know what to think about Dogecoin. Um, at this point, it's really cemented itself as one of the largest cryptocurrencies that started out as a joke. But with Elon backing it, saying he's talking to developers, um, could come into something that is an actual project. But as of right now, I have no exposure and I don't really plan on taking any. But it's interesting to see that um, Coinbase is like pretty strict on what coins they're actually incorporating within their exchange. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see that Doge is on that very select list. So moving on to the next thing, talking about uh, a project that has a lot more, in my opinion, value. Ethereum is the second largest market cap token. And we've been talking about ETH 2.0 for quite a long time. Uh, they still haven't come up with it, but uh, right now they do have over 5 million Ethereum locked on the protocol. So then when this changed from the proof of work to proof of stake, they allowed people to send in their ETH so then they can basically stake and make a little bit of money on the side just by validating the network and right now, uh, it's still yet to come, but uh, even the kind of ETH 2.0 um, is taking a lot longer than anticipated. And we're kind of speculating that uh, the 2.0 will not come in time for this bull run. And that's why we're really looking at the Binance Smart Chain and PancakeSwap, because right now the fees are like $30, $40, $50, which is reasonable, I would say, in, in terms of uh, gas fees for Ethereum. But... At its peak, when Bitcoin was at like the 55-60k range, we were seeing like two, three, four, five hundred dollars for a transaction, and that's just unfathomable. You can't be a retail trader with a thousand dollars and pay half of your <laughs> capital in um, transaction fees. So it does need to come. Like it's unacceptable that you're paying three hundred dollars for gas fees when Binance Smart Chain is pennies. It's literally cents. So when ETH 2.0 does come, it will obviously shift a lot of the capital from other places in the crypto sphere into Ethereum and Ethereum-like projects, in my opinion, because of that reduction in the gas fees. But as of right now, I think that um, it's not something that is going to be coming into fruition for this bull run and that's why we're positioned a little bit more into binance smart chain but over five million i think it's a long-term great opportunity because whenever the 
uh, protocol does reach its 2.0 capabilities, it will be unbelievable because uh, Ethereum has established itself as the kind of smart contract token. Uh, it's the first one, it's the main one, it's the largest market cap. And like things that are kind of competitors like Cardano, ADA don't even have smart contracts implemented yet, they will in the future. But Ethereum kind of was the first at the smart contract forefront there and they got Uniswap there. So I think it's a great opportunity when the 2.0 does come in. But until that point, we think, or at least in my opinion, I think that Binance Smart Chain and PancakeSwap will be uh, more favored for retail traders in the long run because of the massive reduction in the fees that we're currently paying compared to ETH and Uniswap. Yeah, I, we're definitely on the same page in terms of the ETH 2.0 taking a little bit too long to make it in time for delivery for this bull run, but 5.2 million ETH locked up in the beacon chain contract is really impressive. Ultimately, we kind of have two more steps to progress before we reach that full proof of stake status with Ethereum, but we have no deadlines in date for when the next two updates will happen. In fact, Vitalik Buterin, in a recent uh, conference in Mandarin, uh, just to quote him, we thought it would actually take one year to do the proof of stake, but it actually takes six years. <laughs> if you are doing a complex thing that you think will take a while, it's actually very likely to take a lot more time. And six years is absolutely insane. I think it's been in the workings for three years now. So who knows when it'll actually happen. Uh, but ultimately, specifically, they said phase one was introduced this year, but it's not the next update is not expected until 2022 at the current rate. And Ethereum has be kind of become a victim of its own success in that demand, with demand pushing network fees to record levels. And ultimately, majority of transactions are economically unviable for the average retail trader. And again, that's just part of the reason why we're loving the Binance Smart Chain ecosystem. We love Ethereum, we love Vitalik, but at the end of the day, it's just a more functional alternative. And so it's kind of interesting to hear him not necessarily doubt himself, but be like, yeah, damn, this is going to take a lot longer than I thought. It kind of reminds me of the quote where most humans overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 it's kind of that like inherent cognitive bias where everyone thinks that they can achieve so much in one year, but lo and behold, they underestimate what they can do in 10. And so we'll see what happens with Ethereum 2.0 delivery. But at the end of the day, I not it's not going to be something immediate. We're definitely, I would say, a couple of years out from full transition from proof of work to proof of stake. Yeah, that's six years is quite a long time in the realm of crypto. But um, it's still super relevant, prevalent. Um, I don't think it's going to get dethroned as kind of the main smart contract project. Um, there are some that are kind of creeping in, like like I said, Cardano is doing pretty well, but they don't even have smart contract implemented yet. So I think they have established themselves in terms of Ethereum and, and the project, but it's just going to take a little while, I guess, maybe even years before its usability and functionality is on par with some of the other projects that... Um, are already available on the marketplace there. So uh, the next thing we're going to touch on is Ripple and SEC. Their lawsuit has uh, yet to be completed or, or um, uh, yet to, I guess, come to a agreement or finalized. So 
the SEC did try to receive some documents from uh, Ripple Labs, which is the creator of Ripple and XRP, but they got denied. So this is a huge win and a huge positive for XRP Ripple because they're able to kind of keep a lot of their documentation in-house internally. They don't have to um, give away all that information and data to the SEC, which would then allow them to have more ammunition for that lawsuit. So great win, not a complete win, like the uh, overall legal situation is not over but uh, it does look like xrp is kind of um getting the upper hand as of right now and their 1.38 billion dollar lawsuit yeah it's kind of interesting to see the both sides to the sec and xrp legal debate it seems ultimately that xrp is really holding their ground in this legal case i don't think there is going to be uh like a determinant outcome for a while because they're still reviewing evidence but ultimately i know that one of the sec lawyers recently resigned and went from public practice to private practice and it was his retirement after like 10 years or something like that which doesn't bode well and then the sec i mean just like he said just got denied access to this massive hundred thousand or hundreds of thousands of files so we are kind of seeing the momentum in xrp's case but We'll see what happens because at the end of the day, uh, XRP is probably just going to have to pay a fine. It is what it is. Uh, but luckily, they probably have the free cash. So it's just a slap on the wrist being like, hey, don't sell unregistered securities. And then they'll probably just go right back to selling unregistered <laughs> securities. And then SEC will probably just type in coin market cap into crypto and we'll just type in coin market cap find xrp and hey look the next one's polka dot so yeah, has both has polka dot been selling unregistered securities how about usdc has coinbase been selling unregistered securities uniswap Chainlink, internet computer litecoin i feel like they're just going to go down the list and find who's been selling unregistered securities and just engage in lawsuits because at the end of the day that's kind of like the fundamental principle to how crypto has been operating is there's been sale of unregistered securities. It is what it is, but more or less is kind of quintessential to the overall functioning of the cryptocurrency space. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's why it's flourished so much is because there is really no friction whatsoever. And when you put on all these regulations, it takes a lot more to actually get a project going. Um, like the most, like traditional legacy realm where it takes a lot to actually get an IPO going. It takes a lot of capital, a lot of time, a lot of fees and lawyers and accountants. So um, the crypto sphere has made it very easy for people who have ambitious goals to create um, projects and create protocols that allow the technology to further progress, which has been inherently very positive for the space. So it would be great to see this kind of uh, gray area continue but i think inevitably the sec will have uh, some regulations set in place that make it more challenging for businesses and individuals to just create a cryptocurrency out of thin air like we've seen that a lot in the bs uh, binance smart chain but um, hopefully it will be in the gray area for a little longer because um, a it's really easy for people to get projects up and running which is really positive because if they have innovative ideas if they have things that could positively impact the space. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of capital to actually get them up and running. They can just find a 
programmer. If they can do it themselves, they can actually start it right away. So awesome to see that coming in right now, and hopefully it doesn't change too much in the future. But it does look like the SEC is slowly creeping into the large projects. I think Ripple was picked first because they're kind of trying to take over the SWIFT system for the U.S. Um, the U.S. Uh, basically, they have like a monopoly on um, sending and receiving money internationally, and Ripple's trying to kind of uh, make that a lot cheaper for people, and so then the U.S. government doesn't have a complete monopoly. So what better project to attack than the one trying to take over the U.S. SWIFT system? So I think um, if they lose this one, you're completely right. They'll just go further down the list or further up the list and then see what other projects that they can uh, potentially try to... Uh, create some fear I don't exactly know like they're not in it for the money I think they're just trying to have some sort of regulation if they win that could create a little bit of momentum for them and they'll take on the next one um, hopefully that's not the case hopefully they just get shut down every single time that would be the ideal situation but I think inevitably in the years to come there will be more regulation but we're kind of in that golden time of early crypto still in my opinion so if you think you're late to the game you're still very early in my opinion so moving on to the final topic of the podcast, uh, you may or may not know of this uh, exchange, this decentralized exchange. It's called BurgerSwap. It's actually the second largest market cap to PancakeSwap. That's the number one on the Binance Smart Chain. And they recently got hacked for $7.2 million, which in the realm of crypto hacks is not that significant. But still, it's not great to see. Um, it's... $3.2 million worth of burger tokens uh, were stolen and then the rest were from wrapped BNB and USDT. And that's the thing we've been talking, we actually talked a little bit about um, this previous to the podcast, having, if you are invested in cryptocurrencies, having diversification and where you hold your crypto is super important. Because if you had all your capital in one single exchange or one single ledger, it can get a little bit scary if you have a lot of capital. So, you know, dispersing your portfolio in different wallets and decentralized exchanges or even centralized exchanges, ensuring that the majority of it is in your control is super important because we have seen hacks happen before. Uh, the most notable one was Mt. Gox. I think that was like 400 million or some crazy amount. 7.2 for burger swap is pretty minimal, but you still do see him coming to, uh, coming into play. So be careful out there. Uh, have a diversified portfolio in terms of where you hold your crypto. And that would be a really good way to um, ensure that if something does happen negatively, it's not impacting your entire portfolio. It's just impacting a small portion. Yeah, at the end of the day, you never want to test the depth of the river with both feet. Diversity is the spice of life. And so just to wrap up this episode, uh, Bitcoin is up uh, around 4% on the day, rather bullish. We are deep into this consolidation that's happening. We got a symmetrical triangle. I feel like most of social media, like the prevalent crypto traders are expecting a move to the downside. But as we know, Bitcoin always likes to do what people expect the least of it. So realistically, anything can happen. Some of these alts are seeing quite a bit of buy volume, like BNBs back over $400, cakes above 20, unis testing $28. So we are seeing some influx of buy volume. We're hoping, we're thinking that this will continue. 
And ultimately, I think if BTC creeps up back above 40K, that's a confirmation that we're going to see a market structure shift and see that higher high instead of a lower low, which is in confluence with the bullish momentum. So on that bombshell, that is a great place to finish the episode. It's been the second day of June. Appreciate the time you've taken with us to tune on into our crypto banter. And I'll pass it on over to Keith for his closing thoughts. Awesome. Well, like Nathan said, thank you again for tuning into our 54th episode. Bitcoin Pump Incoming is the title. We do anticipate this 30K range, 33, 30K range being the bottom. We see a nice squeeze. Um, like you said, anything can happen. But when you're fearful, uncertain, don't really know what's happening, it's always good to take a step back, zoom out to a large time frame and gain some perspective. And we've made a higher low than what we saw in February when we had initial break above 30k we pulled back had a nice descending wedge and then pushed up to the 55 60k range and now we're testing that same level a lot of people are thinking because we're below the 200 day EMA and this is a continuation pattern but uh, it's well structured on the way down held a nice channel on the way down and now we're squeezing forming a potential reversal doesn't mean that we're imminently bullish thinking that it's going to absolutely moonshot right away i think it'll take some time for it to consolidate a little bit longer and then when everyone's kind of forgot about it when people think that this is just not going to go up anymore that's when the move occurs again so stay patient look for your favorite alts i think there is still kind of half a year to go full for this bull run we're kind of anticipating this to be like the halftime event so load up your bags enjoy the time as um you're just waiting um, it's sometimes good to take a little bit of time away from your computer because when things were super bullish i know that i was checking my phone very frequently um checking my portfolio basically like any chance i could um which can get a little bit um addictive i guess you could say um, so take the time, enjoy the day, enjoy the sunshine because there will be a time in the near future, in our opinion, that there will be an even more um, bullish uh, point in time in terms of the environment where there's going to be an alt season round two, which is going to make alt season round one in springtime look small. So hopefully everyone is uh, profiting, enjoying their time. And until our next podcast for the 55th, have yourself a great day. Bye-bye.